Hello and welcome to Teaching Python. This is episode 122, and today we're talking about the role of AI in society. My name is Sean Tiber. I'm a coder who teaches. And my name's Kelly Schuster Paredes, and I'm a teacher who codes. And today we are joined by a very special guest. We're joined by Cecilia Denisi, all the way from Spain today. And we're super excited to have her here to talk about the role of AI in society and how it affects different people in different ways. So welcome, Cecilia. It's wonderful to have you today. Well, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. And I have to correct something because ah. I'm living in Spain. Yes, yeah. but yeah. I'm from Argentina. Ah. <laughs> but it's very confused because now I live in Spain. I'm working in Spain, in Europe. So, but I'm born in Argentina. I'm sorry. I was going to correct you since we have a very important Argentine in South Florida with us. Wow, great. <laughs> yes, right. So, I, you know. She's probably very proud of his accomplishments. <laughs> yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I'm happy to. Before we begin, I wanted to pass along a message. I was telling my daughter this morning, she's 10 years old, that I was going to be recording this podcast with you. And she asked me about who you were and what you worked on. And she oh. right now is doing an after-school robotics program. And she is really loving the engineering and the coding and the problem solving. Right. So she wanted to say hello from one smart woman to another to keep going. <laughs> and she's very happy that we get to chat. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy because this is the idea to inspire young women. Yes. This is good because now I can talk her into helping me edit the podcast afterwards so she can be a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's going to ferry it later. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't we get started with the uh, wins of the week and then we'll do a proper introduction in our main topic. Cecilia, why don't you go first? The win can be anything. It can be inside work, outside of work, whatever is best to share. So... Maybe about this week, we can talk about uh, the new, I don't know if it's new or not, because every day is something new and you don't know, sometimes you get lost, but Freedom Chat GPT is, I think that is going to be an interesting topic. Copilot, another interesting topic. And then, uh, well, something that a little more sad in the sense that uh, bad or negative consequences of the AI. For example, this is not about this week, but we have a lot of news about this, the digital violence, in the sense the use of generative AI to create fake form, forms, for example, images, pictures, into something that is very, very dangerous. But maybe we can talk about this later. That would be great. We'd love to get into that. Yes. Yeah. All right, Kelly, any wins from you this week? Oh, yeah. Well, a quick like win for me, something that happened in the classroom. We're looking at version control with Python and building a game with Oregon Trail, which we've done three versions. And in the third version, I took our typical spaghetti code. Cecilia is like code that if elf, 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 and the kids kept like writing all these conditions for algorithms and the students will write 700 lines of code where People like Sean or myself, we can make it shorter and more logical, but the kids aren't really there. So anyways, I, in the spirit of this show, took the spaghetti code of 700 lines and put it into ChatGPT. And I was telling it, coercing it to write a program that an eighth grader can still understand in a dictionary form, but keeping to the true nature of this code. And it produced, after a lot of prompting, something that was nice, and I got to show it to the kids. But the win of the week was not the fact that I used ChatGPT. It was the fact that it took a long time 
in the prompting and I wanted to show them that this answer didn't just come out from me just dumping it in and say fix it. It took a little bit of coercing and I wanted them to understand that it, it wasn't like instantaneous, that you needed to have the knowledge in order to guide the AI to do its job. That was a little bit inspiring for them because they got to see that it scrolled and scrolled and scrolled and scrolled. And they're like, oh, wow, that takes a long time. I'm like, yes, you have to understand things in order to use AI. So it was good. It was a nice one. Okay. Right. Nice. Yeah. For me this week, back to doing some teaching, I'm preparing to do a boot camp for a team of engineers next week. And so a lot of the work has been structuring what are we going to learn? What are our learning outcomes? How are we going to get there? And I had this moment of realization as I was doing this that. Early in my career, I didn't know what I wanted to be or what I liked to do. And I was always trying to be something that I thought would get me advancement or promotion or success. Where I am now in my career, I realize there are two things I like to do really well. I like to build systems with code and technology and build things that actually work. And I also like to build engineers. I like teaching people. I like helping them become better. Those are the two things that I really love doing. And what I'm finding at this point in my career is that doing those things really well is leading to the success I always tried to get when I was younger and I didn't know how to get there. But it's about finding kind of those things that you really love and you like to do. And it's something that you can't just tell someone when they're young or you can't teach them that. They have to discover it for themselves. I had this moment where it just fell into place this week that I'm really loving what I'm doing because it's the two things that I do really well and I love to do. That's awesome. Right. That's awesome. We do a lot of reflection. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Cecilia, sorry. Yes, but I that, like it. So. so, Kelly, why don't you introduce Cecilia this week? You found Cecilia. You brought her to the show. This is yeah. such a great moment, and I'm so excited that we're here. Yeah, well, I am excited. I'm excited as well. So I came across Cecilia from Gabriela Ramos. Such an honor for me. <laughs> Such an honor. It, was, it is an honor to be yeah. able to communicate with both of you. And we were really excited. I was following the work of UNESCO. We often use the sustainable development goals in class to give kids some data to work with Python. And so I follow both United UN information and UNESCO. And I came across her because of a friend that works in cellular AI. She worked with Gabrielle and she's on my LinkedIn. And anyway, she put me in touch with you. And I'm so ex excited because you're one of the 17 leading female experts on the UNESCO Women yeah. for Ethical AI committee. Yeah. Is, it, is it a committee or a, a, a group? Platform. A platform. platform. Yeah. And you are not only working in this sector where you're trying to increase the progress of non-discriminatory Tory algorithms and data sources, and you're trying to get girls into code and women and underrepresented groups to participate in AI development, yeah. but you're also a lawyer. You're also looking at artificial intelligence and gender rights and social impact. And as I was researching about you, I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Be it's so it's an honor to have you here. I think as educators, we are probably in the what the heck mode as educators. We really don't know what we're doing. We're trying to pull a lot of pieces together. And so our hopes are that you can shed some light for education and educators around the world and open our eyes to things that we need to be more well aware of. So right. is that good, Sean? <laughs> 
Did I miss anything? <laughs> no. I mean, Amazing. I'm sure we will discover more as we go. So Cecilia, welcome. We're so excited to have you. Where should we begin? We, let's talk about this in the context of our times. There's been a tremendous amount of new research and new platforms available in AI yes. over the last 12 months, yes. especially with generative AI. But where does this really start? Because it's not like you woke up a year ago and said, you know, this AI thing is becoming a problem. We should talk about it. You've been working on this for a while. Where did you begin looking at this and how did you get started? First of all, we have to recognize that ChatGPT or OpenAI, the last year in November, when it's put into circulation ChatGPT, it reached the popularity of AI because everyone can touch AI, use it, and create things with AI. But if we think just for a minute, we can realize that we are every day interacting with algorithms in digital platforms, when we are talking with a chatbot, in social media, everywhere. The idea of the AI is very, very old. The problem is in the past, we don't have the search amount of data that we need to train an algorithm and the capacity of processing this huge amount of data. But the idea of a machine that try to imitate our mind, our brain, is very old. The fact is nowadays we have the technology to do that. And of course, this is interdisciplinary tool that can help us in every aspect of our lives. This is very good, but in the same time, it could be very bad or dangerous because we don't have a limit. And when we talk about the limit, we talk about a law because it's the only, the only thing can put a control or a limit to an AI. I can say that uh, since we have a chat GPT in our hands, this is the huge beginning of the AI in the sense that it became popular. It became to every people. So for me, it's amazing. Nowadays, when I am having a mate, a typical beverage in Argentina, or a coffee with my friends, and they started to talk about ChatGPT. So for me, it's a miracle. It's incredible because before that, everyone asked me, what are you studying? What is the, the, the link between law, human rights, social science with AI? There is no big data, there is no link, there is nothing related to this. And nowadays, it's easier to talk about it. So uh, the chat GPT issue was very important for this debate. I, I can't agree with you more. I was reflecting on this prior to the episode. And prior to a year ago, Sean and I would talk about algorithms. We teach coding, so we have those conditions in place. We make our simple algorithms with our kids. And that was kept only in the computer science program right? Only in that classroom within these little walls. And as educators of computer science, we wanted more teachers to understand that it's everyone's job to look at algorithms. ChatGPT kind of did that for everyone. And now all of a sudden, it's everybody's job to be aware of this because now we're trying to bring in ChatGPT. We have opportunities for kids to use it, even though they probably shouldn't. And I'm going to get to a question for you. Okay. I, I saw this quote. I saw this quote from a recent article from Augustine. Yes. Rubio, and I, I love this question that he posed and there wasn't an answer. So I'm going to give it to you. It, he said, 
the goal of society is to adapt and convert to a 4.0 world. We're really at a 4.0 world. We need to get in motion. But how do we educate that future generation? And what are the steps that you and UNESCO, what are you guys doing in order to help us help them? So there's well, your question. <laughs> this is, uh, well, it's a small question, you know. <laughs> Very easy. Yeah, <laughs> we can all day here. No, well, a lot of things. First, this is the main challenge or the fourth industrial revolution is how to implement, use, develop AI in an ethical way. Because first of all, we have to realize that there is a huge link and an important link between social science and technology. Because technology is changing the way that we live, that we interact, that we saw, we fall in love with them, so everything. So this is very important. We need to focus on education, especially with the kids, with teenagers, because they are our future and they are who especially interact with technology. So it's very important that they are aware of the risks and the benefits of the AI. This is the first point to analysis. I want to share with you a case in Spain, because at the beginning I mentioned digital violence. This case is going to be very practiced to represent what we are talking about of the risk of the AI and why education, educators, teachers are very, very important in this topic. Uh, this is a case of a very, very small town uh, in the south of Spain. It's called Almendralejo. And here, a group of students at school use generative AI, create fake forms, pictures of their classmates. So there was students under 18 years old that create fake form pictures of their classmates. There are several cases of this, for example, in Rio de Janeiro, also with school students. And apart from that, there are other cases, for example, related to adults. For example, in Costa Rica, happened the same with a, a journalist. As I mentioned, this is known as fake porn. And the problem with this, for example, is that these cases normally affect women and it has a huge impact in their life. For example, in the case of the students, this student didn't go to, to the school for a long period of time. And in the case, for example, of adult women, they lost several jobs, opportunities, because they were uh, linked to the porn industrial, because their images were in these kind of websites. In all these cases, the victim didn't want to, to leave their houses because of the shame. So it creates a lot of consequences, damages in their lives. So why it's important education? Because we also have cases where children are who create this kind of damage, this kind of images. So we have to start from the education because of course it's important to have a law, yes, but we are talking about children, we are talking about kids. So we need to create from the school, from the family, from the very beginning, to create awareness of this kind of how can we use this technology and of course which are the risks or the damages that this technology can cause in case that we use in a bad way. 
So I think that educators and teachers have a, a great challenge for the future with this kind of tools. It's a really good point. Kelly and I have talked a lot about these ages where you're talking about teenagers and preteens, that adolescence age, that they are not great at evaluating risk and consequences of their actions. That's something that's Absolutely. a learned behavior. And they tend to underestimate the effect of the actions yes. that they take. Yeah. There's having these examples as, as horrible as they are to be able to show the consequences of something that they think is funny or mean or something that has a limited scope but has wide reaching consequences is a way that we can show them that although these tools are very powerful and you can use them for good things in bad cases or horrible cases, they can have consequences that really affect people's lives for years to come, not just in the moment. Yes, absolutely. For that reason, I always try to talk with examples, with real cases, because sometimes when you talk about just theory, it's a, a picture in our mind, but this is not real. But all these cases are real. Uh, so it's easier to, to understand and to work on it with uh, real cases, no? For this, so also it's very important to, to, to study these cases, to know these cases, and to spread this kind of cases to create awareness. I also like that we can use global examples, that it's not just something that happened in my country, in one country or in my yes. area, that it's happening in many places. It, it, and that is part of the phenomenon of AI is that it's available pretty much everywhere. Yes, and this is not about the big countries or the big cities. No, it can also happen in a small town in the south of Spain, in Brazil, in everywhere, because normally these kind of tools are uh, close to everyone. So this is very important that we have to work about this in every place in the world, not just in uni at the university or no, this is a general problem. Yeah, I always think about downstream versus upstream. The law kind of affects the downstream effect. It's after the fact. Something bad has already happened. We're chasing the tail downstream. And it's the educator's job upstream to educate the students. And right now, most educators, all they can think about is how do I keep kids from cheating? How do I keep kids from writing their essays on ChatGPT? Where the bigger picture is to understand the risks, understand what might happen when we use it poorly. But I think also is the, the biasness of not really understanding how that comes out. Do you do work with the bias of data as well in some of the cases? Yes, I was taking notes because I have a lot <laughs> of points to talk about it. First, you mentioned that GPT. One of the main problems of the teachers, of the professors, is how can I do to prohibit the use of ChatGPT? So I want to be warranted that any of my students are going to use it. And this is not the point. We are going to use technology in the present and of course in the future. When we are in the university training for our job in the future, of course we are going to use technology to, to work. So why don't we learn with the help of technology? And this is a huge challenge because we have to change the way that we learn and we teach 
with technology, with the help of technology. And this is a challenge, especially for educators and also for students. So the first point is that we as educators, as professors, we have to think about how to teach with technology. So the technology is going to be another teacher with me that is going to help me to teach, to train our students. And apart from that, how can I teach to the students how is the best way to use technology in an ethical way? So we have two main points to analyze. Incorporate technology in the way that I teach and create awareness of my students of the best way to use technology and especially of the consequences and the damages that technology can do. This is one point. The second biases, well, it's uh, algorithmic bias is one of the main, main points of analyze. When we are talking about algorithmic bias, technically it could be uh, like a mistake or a bad prediction of the system. But when we are working from the social science perspective, this prediction, the important is that this prediction is going to create unfair threat of a group of persons, for example, a discrimination or the violation of a human's rights. Okay. We have different examples. For example, the classical one that we are going to read everywhere is the Amazon case. This is the typical case where Amazon creates an AI system to put on a score in CV candidates to resume for a job. And the system puts a lower score for in women's CVs in comparison with men because the system was trained with the last 10 years of the companies where the only rich to high positions jobs were men instead of women. So the system learned that men work better than women. This is an algorithmic bias. And there are a lot of causes why this happened. I work a lot with this in my last book, The Empire of Algorithms. One of the main points is the data set that we use to train an algorithm, that we use to train a system. And this is the example of Anson case. The, the exactly the same happens with, for example, ChatGPT or this kind of generative AI. Uh, in this case, the problem is a little bit bigger because we have no control of the data set or the data that we use to train the algorithm because it uses a huge amount of data and it's very difficult to control it. So of course, these systems are going to be biased and these systems are going to be biased because they are learning from our society, from our perspective, our values, our biases. So the system is going to reproduce then. The thing that came to mind also while you were talking about the Amazon example, and I've heard a similar case around mortgage approvals for buying homes and the biases that are in there. A lot of this problem is also in the way that the problem is being framed that we're setting up the algorithm to solve. So Amazon, if they had framed the problem differently, it would have been immediately apparent that there was a problem with the bias because the, they didn't frame the problem as how do we ensure equality or equity in our hiring process and ensure that people are getting an equal opportunity to be hired. They just said, show me the best candidates for the job. If they had framed the problem differently, maybe that bias would have become more apparent. So sometimes even the problem comes before the algorithm, that the way that humans are setting up the problem to be solved 
has implicit bias in it that can then be amplified by the algorithm and the yeah. data that we select. Yes, absolutely. So I completely agree with you that the problem is before the AI. So it's not about just technology. The key point about technology is that technology and especially AI have the power to enlarge and intensify our biases because one system with one bias, two bias or whatever can do a prediction in a minute. And a human has not this capacity to do, for example, a lot of sentences, a lot of results, a lot of predictions. So the main point with the AI is first, it's invisible. We don't know that we are interacting with the AI system. And second, it has the power to reproduce and amplify all these problems. So that's why we have to work especially on AI. There's so many questions I want to go into. <laughs> Just a, if you can, in a small tidbit for our listeners to get an understanding of some of the laws of AI and how they're evolving, because I know in my role, all the apps and things that we want to bring into education, I'm always looking for COPA and FERPA. I want to know where the GDPR, I want to know where the data is going for kids. And that's a lot, because even if we have all those protections, we still don't really no. I know the laws are constantly changing. Can you kind of give us a yes. <laughs> well, summary? It's, it's huge. <laughs> yes. Well, the first point is that, of course, we don't have, it doesn't exist, a general law. So a law which can be a mandatory for all the countries. It doesn't exist. And of course, it has a sense, no? But it creates a problem that technology didn't recognize frontiers. So it's very difficult to create a law for each country when we, we are talking about the phenomenon globally first. Second, we can say that there is no general law of the AI in the sense that we can find AI law for specified areas. For example, health, autonomous vehicles or something like this, but there is no a general law. The main example of this, and I think that is going to be the main role in this area, is the AI Act from the European Union. Uh, it's not enforced nowadays, but they are working on it. This act is going to be very important because it's general in the sense that we are going to apply not just for one area, we are going to apply it for all the systems we are included in the act. And then I think that the most important value of the act is the idea of the prevention. So we are not talking about just consequences, because of course, when we arrive to repair the damage, it's late because the damage has already happened. So the idea is to prevention. So it has different requirements that each kind of system has to comply with in order to prevent, for example, algorithmic bias. So this is the key for the future, to work about prevention, to work about awareness. And for that reason, of course, education is the first step to start with. A clear example of this is the case that I mentioned before about Spain. Oh, the idea that in most of the cases, it's impossible to find the responsibility, the people who make the wrong prediction or who create the porn fake. 
then sometimes they are under 18, underage children. It's very difficult. And of course, we are talking about a phenomenon which cannot be forbidden. I always use the case of Uber. There are in many countries that Uber was forbidden, but it's always continues using it. So prohibit the, the technology is impossible. We have a lot of challenge, especially when we talk about AI. Here in the university, we have a master's degree on the ethical governance of the AI. And we are working with different governments to create this legislation of AI. Also with UNESCO, we are in the uh, ethic forum of the AI in, in Chile. The last week, there are different initiatives to work on this so because we need to create an harmonized regulation about all this topic. There's so many directions <laughs> we can take it in. And I know we're out of time here. Well, we're going to pause here and hopefully we can have you come back again on the show. And yeah, I would try to bring friends. We'll make it a, a bigger <laughs> conversation. I love this and I love where it's going. You have your book about the empire of algorithms. You yes. have the work that you're doing with UNESCO. You have the work that you're doing with the governments. If people want to learn more, if they want to follow the work that either your platform is doing, that you're doing with UNESCO, your own work, where's the best place for people to learn more and to follow what you're doing? I have my website, which is my name, Cecilia Danesi. There I put a lot of information about this. And then, of course, social media <laughs> with the government of the algorithms. I especially use Instagram, it's Cecilia Danesi the same. And I always uh, give, for example, courses or a lot of information about this in order to create awareness of all this topic. Apart from um, coming back again to the podcast, you can find me meet in the virtual world. I love that. We'll definitely send our audience your way. Thank you. Um, here's our charge to our audience. This episode in particular is not just for computer science teachers. It's really for social sciences teachers, it's for humanities teachers, it's for physics teachers. Send it to yes. other teachers, share it with them so everyone can raise our standard of how we think about AI and how we educate the next generation on how to use it ethically. Yes, I think that this is the main point, to work with an interdisciplinary perspective of this topic. Because as we can see, we have a lot of examples of AI with algorithmic bias, with, with digital violence, that it about a lot of disciplines, not just one, not just about computer science, not just about lawyers. We need to talk with the perspectives of different sciences. This also is a challenge for us because when I studied, I all was just about lawyers, not mm -hmm. other disciplines. And nowadays, we need in a global society, in a global world. So we need to talk from different perspectives. So perspective and diversity. Now, this is very, very important. You hit it right on the mark. As educators, this is the interdisciplinary project of the century. This is yeah. where we should be really focusing. And Sean and I just want to really thank you. I would love to try to get you into our Innovation Institute that's happening in April. I'm going to do my little magic. Maybe yes. you can be a virtual speaker because we are going to have an AI panel. More and more people need to hear about and learn about AI ethics, bias, and the laws that hopefully will be created globally. We just really want to thank you for being on our show. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's very pleasure for me to be to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sean, anything to add? No, that'll do it for this week. So for Teaching Python, this is Sean. 
And this is Kelly signing off.